Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. All right. Good to have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Beautiful day. We're glad you're here with us. Um, you know, I'm going to throw the first slide up there because uh, we come to the end of chapter four in our Acts series and um, we, we, I got thinking about fuel. Anyone else thinking about fuel these days? Uh, right? I never used to be that guy. It's two cents cheaper there. I'm turning into that guy. I don't know what it is. Well, I do. Right? I'm, when I'm putting my, uh, the, the, you put in the last bit of gas in your car, you kind of jiggle it as much as you can to make sure every single drop, you know, and then one goes on the ground. I can't afford that drop, right? Um, so good thing about fuel, but specifically when it comes to the mission that Acts is all about, right? The mission of the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And now we're going to see a summary statement um, by Luke, who wrote Acts, uh, how the church is doing. And we're going to see there, I think, the fuel that keeps it going. Have you ever run out of gas? Anyone? Raise your hand. Be, be honest. You've done it. You've done it. Don't be too ashamed. My brother ran out of gas in my driveway once. <laughs> I know. Those kids are over there. Yeah, they remember. They were younger. But... Uh, Yep, snowstorm, he turned the uh, automatic starter on, forgot, and for 15 minutes later he went out and the car was dead, right? So a uh, good place, your brother's house, I guess. Um, but I, I, I don't know if um, some of you who are just a little bit older, do you remember 1978, anybody? Oh, yeah, you're proud, the blizzard of 78, right? I remember it too, I was three, okay, I remember. This is a picture of uh, 128, now, I don't know about you, but I've been on 120 and a good day. It kind of looks like that, right? Minus the snow. Um, but this is what it looked like. And, and um, what happened was they just got so stuck there that they were all running out of fuel. They didn't have the fuel, so they had to abandon their cars so they wouldn't freeze to death, right? And get out of there and get their cars like a week later. But I, I like that picture um, as an example. Because it doesn't matter if you got the greatest car that everyone is jealous of, right? That if that everyone's like, oh, I wish I had a car like that. But if you run out of fuel, what good is it? It's just stuck. And I think that churches can end up like this. Stuck, not caring forth the mission that Christ has given us. And I want us to see today why that can happen. And what goes into fuel, right, that fuels the mission as a people of God are trying to carry to the ends of the earth. Because it's our time. It's our time. So as we look to, to that passage together, let, let's pray together. Lord, I pray you give us wisdom. Give me especially um, the wisdom to give your word, your truth, in a way that can be clear and understandable, Lord, for those of us who are here or online with us. Lord, that you could do a work in us. I pray for our kids downstairs and their teachers and our babies. and Just bless them that, that they would know this mission at an early age and never, ever waver from it. Lord, do your will. Um, use me as a vessel for what you need to do work in, in our lives this morning. Thank you for already being able to worship you through song and prayer um, and fellowship. And we just pray that this word, this time, would leave us um, not unchanged towards your glory. And it is for your precious, holy, and beautiful name, Lord Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 
Amen. Um, if you are, we put it on the screen, but if you want to follow along, um, we're in Acts chapter 4, the end of it, starting in verse 32. If you don't own a Bible, uh, one of those pew Bibles you can take, it's our gift to you. Um, or if you know someone who needs a Bible and you're like, oh, I can bring this to them, please do that. We can restock that and we'd love to do that. God's word is so important to be in everyone's hands. Um, so as I said, we get to the end of chapter 4 and Luke gives us this summary statement. It's a lot like if you were with us in chapter 2. In fact, if you remember that, it's, it's similar language, similar things are happening, but it's different context. Chapter 2 is just following Pentecost. Everything was pretty good. But this, if you've been with us, is, is following opposition. Right? The whole city, a megachurch has popped up in Jerusalem. The whole city is turned upside down about the preaching of Christ. And, and, and so the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high council, they drag the apostles in and they say, you better stop preaching Christ. And we saw last week, they go back and they, they, they pray together. They pray for boldness and help. And so now we're going to get a summary of how it's going. And are they running? Are they hiding? Are they watering down the message so it's a little bit more palatable? What are they doing? And we're going to see it's just the opposite. The mission is continuing to carry on, and I want us to see that, that fuel. So what I'm going to do is read that summary with a little explanation, and then just see how that, uh, what fueled them should and must fuel us today. Okay? So starting in, in, in verse 32, Luke says this. Now the full number of those who believed. Let's give you a quick pause. Right? That, that phrase, you see full number, in the Greek language that he originally wrote it, it just means a ton of people. Like a big number. Thousands of people have come to Christ. They believe. They're in Christ. I want you to think about what that might look like. Now they have something in common. Like almost all of them have a common Jewish heritage, right? And are now in Christ. But other than that, when you get thousands of people in the same space, and you look around, you see a ton of differences, right? Tons of them. You got old, you got young, you got teenagers, you got babies, you got kids, you got, uh, uh, we remember from Pentecost, we got people, all kinds of different first languages, right? We got, uh, uh, that means different cultures, different likes of food, different styles of music that people like. Di all these differences of experiences and culture and likes and dislikes, all that can cause mess. Wait till it goes to the Gentiles. Just gets worse, right? All of this, that's when he says great number. That's what you got to picture. Like not just 15 people that all look alike. And, 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 and you get these thousands of people, and this is what Luke says. They were of one heart. And one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. You might remember, similar thing in chapter 2. It's still happening. As they grow, as they get bigger, as opposite, it's still happening. Radical generosity. It's amazing. Um, I, I think as we look at this, we remember, just as we said back in chapter 2, that um, this is not... Uh, forced communism, right? Like to join the church, you got to give up all your possessions. Like a monk in a monastery or something like that. These, you still owned stuff. It was still yours. You just didn't look at it that way, right? If you, it, what we're seeing is craziness crossing socioeconomic uh, barriers that normally they would never cross. Poor people and rich people, they don't mix together. And yet here, it's like God's blessed me. You need it, have it. Right? That's what's happening here. 
the power of the gospel, as we, we will see. And that's uh, what he gives us in verse 33. He says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I just picture that. Great grace. So, so the, the, the main message is the power of what? The gospel. This is the gospel. Now, their focus was on the resurrection. And there's a reason for that. They certainly talked about the cross, but this is only, whatever, a number of months after those events. These people knew, heard about Jesus. It was front uh, headlines, front page headlines, that Jesus had died the most gruesome, accursed death anyone could die. Horrible. No one would ever want that, right? And so that seems like real bad news. So they constantly were like, yeah, yeah, that happened. But guess what? Three days later, he rose. He's alive. And we saw him. Over 500 songs. And so they were giving that testimony that he's a, he's a victorious king over sin and death for all who would believe. And so, so the power of what's happening here is the gospel. And, 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 and I want you to notice that, that, that phrase, great grace. A better translation, in my opinion, is mega grace. Like mega is great. I mean, we use the word great for a lot of things. Mega can't measure it, can't possibly weigh it so much that it's just, just incomprehensible how much grace fell upon them because of the gospel. All right, he keeps going. And this is what happened because of it. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had any need. So you see sort of an organization of it that, that a, a lot of times, I think needs were met individually, of course, but sometimes we're just like, I feel called to just give, and I know the apostles have a better idea of who might need, and so we'll bring it to them, and they'll distribute it. The apostles clearly, at this point, were, were in, in charge of that, but they had to delegate that out. We'll see that in a little bit later, right? It was a little too much to be preaching and be in charge of that. But you, you see this process of radical, radical, mega generosity, right? Crazy generosity of, of coming. What it is is a fulfillment all the way back Deuteronomy 15 where God's like, he wants his people to know that no one has a need. No one has a need. That people say, oh, God has blessed me so that I might bless you. And that's what was happening. It wasn't just a pie in the sky, sort of like, wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe someday in heaven. Like, it wasn't perfect. We're going to see next week. It was definitely not perfect. But overall, it was an amazing, powerful uh, demonstration of unity and generosity. And so, to finish off his summary, he gives us an example of someone who did that. And it's a hinge verse to next week where we'll compare uh, Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. We'll get to that next week. But uh, this Joseph, right, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If you ever notice, Luke loves to, like a great author, to introduce future main characters early on in the narrative. He does that with, uh, with Paul, right? He'll do that in a little bit. And, and so he did that with Barnabas. So we we're like, oh, who's this guy's name's Joseph? They call him Barnabas. Nickname encourager. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of nicknames. Never encourager, I'm just, you know. 
Let's just call him encouragement. He's such an encourager. How awesome would that be, right? That was him. And, and, and so he introduces him, and he'll be eventually a great link of the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles, as he'll encourage and be a companion of Paul. But here we just simply see him as an example of this unity and generosity. He sells a field, and he brings the proceeds, and he lays them to the apostle and says, give it to someone who needs it. Give it to someone who needs it. And so the summary is, is over, and what I want us to think about is, okay, if that's the mission, ends of the earth, gospel mission, what's the fuel? We don't want to just have pretty buildings, right? We don't, we don't want to be this, stuck, right? We want to move it forward. What's the fuel? That summary gives it to us. The major portion of that fuel, right, let me give you um, back to uh, verse 33, right? With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Huge part of this uh, fuel, right, is mega grace. Is to understand, to never forget, to keep going back and going back to the well, to the waterfall, however you want to think of it, as mega grace. What God has done for me cannot be counted. It cannot be measured. It cannot be compared, right? I was lost, not sort of lost. Maybe I'd find my way back. I was gone. I was dead. I did not deserve anything. You did not deserve anything, despite what your kindergarten teacher told you, all right? The Bible says you had no hope, and yet God sent his only son to die for you. You see, what happens, okay, is I think churches get stuck there because they lose sight of mega grace. You won't see Pastor Bob here this weekend. We, we loaned him out to be on another church assessment team um, there in Tingsboro this weekend, ministering to a, a small church that's struggling and needs some help. I don't know much about that specific church, but I got thinking about when, when we do those assessments, we do, uh, we do surveys and people can comment on things about the church. A lot of times it's negative when they're in that situation. Or we do interviews. We invariably end up starting, we hear things like this. Fifteen years ago, I didn't agree with the decision they made to spend money. And I haven't really been involved since. I don't know why she gets to be in charge of what flowers get put in the sanctuary. I'm just still so furious over the fact that, that the, the order of worship used to be printed in the, the back of the bulletin. Now it's in, the, in, in, the, in an insert of the bulletin. Right? Imagine, so, so we hear those things, and it's like you wonder why you're stuck. I mean, it's a lot of they love Jesus. They, they, they want to, to follow Jesus, but the church is stuck in their own wallowing of their opinions and what they think they deserve. You know, you wonder why they don't ask me too much. I have so little patience for, for it. I just have zero patience. Bob has more than I do. Because it's like, what are we doing here? This is our time, and we're talking about flowers. We're talking about what color you painted a wall. And I'm not, this is not made up stuff. Here's what I think happens. Here's what I know happens. They've forgotten about mega grace, right? They've just forgotten. 
And there's somewhere along the line, right, because if you remember, you know, you, when we see a baptism happen and someone's in, the, in there, their tears are come flowing, they're celebrating. What are we seeing? We're seeing an overflow. Don't worry, I'm not going to, well, maybe I will, it depends, right? An overflow of, of grace. But I think what happens over time is we empty it out. And, 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 and we sort of think somewhere along the line that we, we helped God with it. We don't say it that way if we're good church people. We start to think we deserve some stuff. We start to not think, well, I'm not as bad as you were. I mean, I didn't do that sin. Especially if you grew up in the church. Our students here, you get bored with it, you start thinking, oh, maybe the world has something. Don't ever, ever, ever stop thanking God for what he protected you from by putting you in a godly Christian family. Your boring testimony is the most beautiful thing ever. But all of us can get to this point, me included, where, and, and what happens is in, in some of those churches, right, is that, is that maybe you go to a, a, a little a, a, a conference, or you go to a retreat, and you, and, you, and you get back to that remembering God's grace, and you feel a little bit, but it's not enough. That's why we constantly tell you day after day after day, Go back to remembering, who was I? Hopeless, lost, dead, and yet God saved me, rescued me, delivered me, blessed me. I've been going from, from I, I now go from being uh, lost and separate from God forever, which is what I deserve, to eternity and all the glories of Christ, which I never, ever deserved. That's mega grace. And the more we go along in our Christian life and God cleans some things up and we start making better decisions and choices, we start going, yeah, we start to believe our own hype. Right? And that's when we get stuck because now I think, well, I deserve. I should have. You should do it my way. I know better. And so the action point of this, right, is that every time you feel unheard, uh, overlooked, not known. I'm not saying those aren't good feelings. Feeling yourself kind of receding to the sidelines because my way would be better. Any of those times, go back to mega grace. Remember what God's done for you. How much more patience will you have for others when you go back to remembering God's grace? That's the fuel of the mission. It's grace-filled people not looking for their own agendas, but looking for God's agenda only. And so that fuel from verse, let me bring you back to verse 33. They go together, right? So mega grace, okay, that is called something, which we've been talking about, that fuels the mission. It's the gospel. The power of them testifying of the risen Christ. And I know, especially those of you that come to church here, you're like, yeah, this is obvious. You go to some places, it's not that obvious. I'm telling you, if you ever, especially our young people, if you ever move to a different area, you're looking for a church, right? Yeah, you look at the statement of faith, look if they have some good programs, got some things going on. And as you're going, the number one thing you should be looking at is, is first and foremost the gospel. Do they sing the gospel? Do they testify the gospel? Do they preach the gospel over and over and over? Do they swim in the gospel? Because if you get away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you get away from it, you get stuck. It's the fuel, because it is the message. Like I say all the time, right? Like, I, I've preached messages out of Leviticus, right? Lamentations. Are you crazy? But it's always the same message, isn't it? 
It always goes back to Christ. It always goes back to God's grace, his mega grace, always. You want a better marriage? Sink deeper in the gospel. You want to be a better parent? Go deeper in the gospel. Right? You, you want to know how to be a better worker, how to be more patient with that annoying neighbor? Go deeper in the gospel. Right? Because I was thinking about this. Do you know that Jesus, I know a lot of you know this, but I was thinking about this way. Jesus in his 33-ish years that, that he lived, never one single time was he impatient with someone. Me and Jesus, the only two ever that have that in our life. Just making sure you're paying attention. All right, I just want to show. Of course not. I lost patience when I was two, and it's been downhill ever since, right? But never, never took that tone with his parents. Never even thought that horrible thing that you and I were like, ooh, I'm glad I didn't say that. He still thought it, right? He still intended that. Never. He never did it. He's the only one that's followed the law perfectly. He's the only one that at the end of his life could have walked into heaven and said, what's up, guys? Come on in. You don't need a you know, redeemer. You don't need forgiveness. You don't need anything. You followed it perfectly, and instead of walking into heaven, he walked instead or limped or was helped to the cross where he took your place, where he died a gruesome death that I should have deserved. He took every sip of the wrath of God that we deserve for all of eternity. Why? So that you might have life. He rose. That's what the power of the gospel. He rose, and so that we might as well. He conquered sin and death. He was the only one that could because he lived that perfect life. And so that's why, right, that's, that's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. You cannot out the cross. You can, there is nothing in your life that's beyond the beggar grace of God if you will just repent and believe. Maybe you just needed to hear that today. Maybe you always thought there was a barrier. You had to become religious or you had to do certain things. No, you must believe. And God's mega grace pours out on you for all of eternity. That's the fuel. If a church gets away from constantly preaching that, me ever assuming you know that. I know most of you know that. I know it. You need to hear it. You need to hear more than just Sundays, right? You need to preach it to yourself. You need to pray it, proclaim it, sing it constantly because our human bent is to start thinking we deserve or we're a little bit better than we are, and you got to go back to it. And as soon as you do that, you say, man, I love this gospel so much, I want others to have it. And it fuels the mission of believers and the believer's family, the church. Now, as we look at that summary, that fuel, think about it like when you have to add a little oil, especially the small engines, like there's a little of this, a little of that to make sure it's the right fuel. Well, it all kind of here goes together. Because they have this environment, we see a couple of things. So let me bring you back um, to verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart, and one soul. Wow. Now that's so fun to read about. And it had unity, right? Amazing unity. The fuel that, that we see is genuine oneness in heart and soul. How do you get five people to get that, let alone thousands? Here's the problem. 
is that often we screw this up and we think this means sameness. It doesn't. Yeah, I, I point, that's why I pointed that out earlier. All kinds of diversity, age and likes and dislikes and ways at looking at things, but still unity. Um, A.W. Tozer, if you know him, awesome Christian leader, pastor, writer. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but um, A Knowledge of the Holy is a little book. You should read it like every year. It just kicks your butt in a beautiful way. But Tozer came up with an illustration that I, I kind of turned into a, a tiny story because I thought it was really, really well done. When it, talking about unity, right? He said this. Well, let's just imagine this, okay? There's a, a musician for whatever reason, okay? If you're a musician, I'm not, so don't criticize me, okay? But they, 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 this musician buys a, a hundred different pianos and gets them in the same room, right? So there's new ones, there's old ones, there's different shape, like different colors, all kinds of it. They're all pianos. And he gives this little team of musicians, he says, here's the goal. I want you to make sure that every piano is tuned exactly together. And so they're like, all right, let's get to work, right? So they, they tune one piano, and then they take that piano, and they try to tune this one, try to tune, right? And, then, and pretty soon they're just lost. They go, oh, my goodness, this is impossible. And so somebody who was late for that team shows up, and she's like, what's the matter? And they told her the problem. And she's like, oh, you're going about it all the wrong way. Going about it all the wrong way. Like, what do you mean? We're trying to tune the piano. She's like, here's what you do. You tune individually every single piano to the same tuning fork. And when you tune every piano to the same tuning fork, you will get every piano tuned exactly alike. And you'll have actual unity. The problem that we sometimes get is we try to tune each other to each other. And instead, each and every one of us is tuning to the same tuning fork, the Lord Jesus Christ, his word, his heart, his plan. And as we do that, despite our much diversity, despite all kinds of differences we have, we have great, beautiful, genuine unity. Does that make sense? I was thinking about this, and I thought about someone, and she's actually here. Haley's right there. Haley, come on up here for a second, please. I didn't tell her I was going to do this. Don't make this not come to church. I would never do this to you. Just good friends like Haley, all right? Now, um, Haley and I, I just counted this. I think we've known each other now like 23 years. That's kind of, it's ish. When you get that old ish starts to happen. It's like 23 to 30. I know, something like that. Old, right? Long before I was pastor, we were doing youth ministry together, so we've been friends and different ministries for that long, okay? I thought of Haley because Haley is, and I'm only going to be real brief because she's going to kick me for this, all right? She's amongst uh, men and women, those who I really, really, really admire for her love and devotion to Christ. If you know Haley, you know that, right? And I really do. But I learned early on, as much as we have that in common, we have a lot of differences, don't we? A lot of different things that we like and don't like. Not bad stuff, just very different. And early on, I would be like, right, I'd have to, I started to really, really um, love that about Haley because she would say something, we'd be doing it, and I'd be like, really? That's kind of, and then I started thinking about it. She just looked at it completely different than me, and I took a little time, but I learned to value that and still do. So here's, before I let her sit down, because she's dying too, okay? Um, here, here's my point, okay? Is we don't try, never have, try to tune our lives to each other. That would be weird and stupid, okay? 
But we have unity because Ben's like, maybe not stupid, but you know what I mean. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't learn from each other, but the point is we're very different. But we have that unity because we're both trying to tune our lives to the same tuning fork, Jesus Christ. Right? Amen? Amen. All right. Let's let poor Haley sit down. Let's hear it for Haley. She's going to kill me for that. That's why I did it. Um, but I, 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 and there's lots of people in my life like that. Right? But the, the problem I think sometimes is we, and here's the action point for you. Right? Don't, it doesn't mean we can't learn from each other. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? So we can. And be like, wow, that really worked out for him or her. I should try that. Absolutely. Right? But this is not about sameness. Right? It's not like, oh, like sometimes you, you ever gone to a church and it's like, they're like carbon copies of each other, right? They all make their same clothes and they all like, like wear their same hairstyle, say the same things, carry the same Bible under the same armpit. It has to be the right, not the left, right? And, and it's like, what is going on here? And it can be very uncomfortable. God wired us differently. He's given you different things, different, different ways of looking at things. I'm not talking about sinful. It's never an excuse. I'm talking about just ways God's wired you. So, so don't ever try to tune your life to another Christian. Learn from them, but don't tune in. Tune to Christ. Okay? And don't expect others to tune to you. Some people, man, you love Christian hymns. Some love Christian rap. God bless you. There's room in the kingdom for all of it. Right? Some are like, man, I'd really rather wear a suit to church. Others love, you know, they just wear a shirt and shorts. Great. Right? Whatever it might be. Some during worship, you just God wired you emotional, man. You're like, woohoo. Right? Don't look at that person and be like, you need to tune it down, right? Or vice versa. God wired you a little bit more like stoic, I guess, right? And 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 people be like, man, he doesn't really like worshiping. Stand still. No. Right? We tune to Christ. And isn't, isn't it so much more uh, just, just, isn't it more just awesome to be with different people? We can learn different things from each other. The mistake we make is trying to tune to each other. Unity comes when we all, in our diversity, tune to Christ. And so that's the action point. And I just got one more before we go. Um, Verse 34, because this was all over that summary. It's all over the summary of verse, uh, chapter 2. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. So with that power, with that unity, right, that last piece of that fuel that I see anyway is mega generosity. Everybody relax. I'm not taking an offering, okay? Not having you bring money and lay it at my feet. We're not going to do that, all right? Um, I, I always I think I've told you this before. I love my dad so much. Yeah, he asked me a year ago, he's like, a few years ago, he's like, how many people are you going to get Christmas Eve? I'm like, I don't know, it's a lot, right? It's a couple, you know, a few hundred people. He's like, taking an offering? And I'm like, no, we don't take an offering on Christmas Eve. What? He's like, some of those people, you're not going to see the rest of the year. You got to get them. <laughs> He's thinking of me. It's how I get, you know, I get paid for working for the church, right? And I'm like, no, Dad, we don't, we don't do it that way. And I'm like, how much is that going to be, right? Really? Um, I've had pastors talk about, like, it's been tough for churches. Pandemic, people not meeting, all of that, right? Ask me, how's giving been? I'm like, it's never been better. Really? 
Yeah, we did a renovation project. Like, we've helped so many people in the community, and it's just, it's a surplus has been, never been better. Did you do a 10-week sermon series on tithing? No! Lord, never, I hope. I'm not saying it's bad. I just never feel like I want to, because what does that get anybody? Feel guilty to give? That's never going to work. I've always seen that, that we deal with giving as the scriptures deal with it, which is a lot, but we talk about generosity, and people are generous when you're on mission for Christ. When you get the power of the gospel and you so much want to see others, suddenly, boom, you're generous without even thinking. Right? That, 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 I remember there was um, a, uh, a family who came alongside another family, just did it on their own, and they said, you know, we're going to pay your bills for this whole month. Some of you want to sign up for that? Which one? Which Which end? Well, they, they, they never, that wasn't a formal thing, right? Just a few people knew about it. God knows about it. So you know that was happening. But then there was also that formal part, right, where they brought it to the apostles' feet. And I know we actually get people argue over the nuances of these things, like, well, did they actually do collections? We do them. What they get screwed up is descriptive and prescriptive. We talk about that a lot. Acts is a description. It's not necessarily prescription. That's like when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself, prescription, go do that, right? It's a prescribed to you. A description is something, is events that happen, some of those things we can expect to happen to us, some of us not. They were unique to the situation. And so the idea isn't do we bring it to someone's feet or what do we do? The idea is radical generosity on mission for the gospel. To know there is needs and to bring it. And so what I want the action point for all of us is to just ask the Lord, where am I with that right now? What am I doing with what God has given me? And maybe it's a season right now where you need. That's the whole point, right? And you need, and, and, and we should help. But maybe it's a season where God is blessed. He's given you resources. He's given you, and, and the idea is hold my hands open. To say, God, use what you've blessed me with as I steward it for you, for the glory of your name, for the help of your people. And what happens is outsiders see it and they say, people give without strings attached? Unity despite all their differences? What kind of crazy place is this? And they might not be first attracted to the gospel, but then when they ask how it's done, we say, oh, we have a God who looked at us when we were so lost, so dead, so pathetic, and he loved us so much that he gave us everything in return. How could we not be generous to others? And people start to hear the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the mission keeps churning on and on and on. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray, as I always do, but I'm going to specifically pray so if you don't have kids you're watching or whatever, um, if you could close your eyes. And, um, and I'm just going to ask the Lord to sift through a few of those elements of the fuel. And just ask for God to reveal to you where you're at. To maybe be encouraged to keep going. Or convicted that maybe we've taken our ball and going, gone home. Or we've stopped being generous or whatever. And, and just... Feel the forgiveness and the mega grace of God. Lord, I pray for those who are here in this room and those who are uh, virtual with us as well. Thank you for them. And, and, and Lord, I, I think of your mega grace 
And I pray you would wash us with that grace right now. Remind us, Jesus, that you're the only qualified one who can save us, and you willingly did. If there's someone here who's just never taken that step of faith, that today you'd open their eyes to your salvation, and they would trust Jesus with all of their heart as Savior and Lord. And Lord, if there's someone here who just needed to hear that, oh, how worth it it was. But God, I know that there's many of us that have heard that a million times. <laughs> Thank you for a million and one. I pray, Lord, that every day you would remind us of your mega grace, of where we were, where we would be without your favor, without your salvation, without your love, without your peace, without your kindness. Remind us, Lord, that we may never take it for granted. While we were at our worst, enemies with you, you died for us, Lord Jesus. Wow. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here who's been feeling neglected or feeling overlooked or feeling like they're on the fringes and, and it's getting to them. I ask that you would wash them again with that grace and that they would just see that they are seen by you and that's enough. And that, Lord, we would push back into your mission and not stand on the outskirts. We would answer the call individually and collectively that you've given us. And lastly, Lord, that we would be a generous people with our time, our affection, our treasures, the things you've given us, that we would be an open-handed people. Thank you for blessing us with it. I pray that we would find ways individually and collectively to push it out so that we might show the world you are a generous God, that there is no one who has ever been more generous than you. Work that in our hearts and minds and lives. We praise you and give this to you for your glory, for your name above all names, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and praise him together, church.